0: Hey everybody, Chris Avery with you on a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly in what should be Combine Week in Indianapolis, but of course, 2021, a little bit different. Coming up though, former Chargers running back, Hank Bauer will join me to share some memories of the several players and coaches we've lost in the Chargers family over the last couple of weeks. But first, Chris trepasso CBS Sports, will unveil who he has going to the Chargers at number 13 overall in his latest mock draft. Plus, how front offices are going to have to adjust this offseason without an NFL combine. All right, let's bring on another friend of the podcast. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, joins me here on Chargers Weekly. Chris, this would be a much different week, man. We'd be doing this in person in Indianapolis, maybe a little Kilroy's, St. Elmo's. Uh, it's, it's all changed, man. How you doing?
1: I know. First off, I'm doing good, but it is a bummer that we're not in Indianapolis for all the hustle and bustle and everyone that converges on Indianapolis for the combine. And then just to see how the players work out and, you know, yeah. plug them into any models that you have and see how players compare to prospects in the past. That's what's so fun about combine week. They're long days, very long nights, too, but it's usually a really fun week in Indy. Uh, We just have to kind of look at the pro days this year uh, for all those workouts for the prospects.
0: You're right. It's like three days that kind of just all run together. It's like one long 72-hour day (laughs) for for folks in the media. Hey, what are teams missing out on this week that uh, it's really going to affect the draft process? Obviously, all 32 teams in the same boat, but scouting departments, front offices, they're going to have to adapt to this, and I I can't imagine – there's one central formula for all 32 teams. I mean, I I know film is going to be of the utmost priority, but there's a lot of things that could potentially slip through the cracks that you have to be aware of.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you talk to anyone that is employed by an NFL team, they'll tell you that the medical checks are such a big part of the combine, and and there are some marquee prospects. I think Jalen Waddell, chief among them, the wide receiver from Alabama, that have some medical issues, and teams like to see – you know, where a player is in his recovery process, if he is injured. So to not have that, and then moving forward into those pro days, we're going to see some times in the four ones in the 40 yard dash. We're going to see some crazy three cone times teams kind of have to adjust, like how much better are these teams boosting up their players um, in those pro days and comparing those again to the past uh, to see really truly how athletic a certain prospect is those will be the two biggest obstacles that we just have not had to deal with as draft analysts, as members of the media. And then even NFL teams have not really had something like this. It's a really unprecedented situation.
0: You had a good piece a couple of days ago about, uh, I think, four four key things that uh, are going to affect the draft evaluation process now that we, we don't have a combine. And uh, one of the things is just the pro days, the, the, emphasis on the pro day I think you said it used to be the little brother of the combine now it's going to be center stage Um, it's almost as if Chris that the combine is going to last over the next couple of months because the importance of each of these pro days we're going to see on NFL Network and ESPN and um, online uh, all eyes on these prospects at their schools as opposed to
1: Indianapolis yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, that it really will be one long combine, which I guess that's maybe a positive spin on this, is that I'm usually bummed, maybe just because I'm a draft nerd, but I'm, I'm bummed at the end of the combine. And this year we're going to be you know, at individual schools seeing these marquee prospects, and it will be a month-and-a-half-long process uh, to get all these numbers, 40-yard uh, dash, three-cone vertical, to show the explosiveness And I think we're going to see more players actually working out because the environment at a pro day—they're familiar with, you know, the wide receivers they're throwing to, their coaches. Everything's going to be scripted. They're not having to get up at five in the morning to do a, a medical check or an interview. So it was a little bit of a disappointment last year that a lot of the marquee names decided not to work out at the combine because even though it's a standardized environment for everyone, and I think that's what teams and analysts like, uh, it's not the most conducive to peak athletic performance for a lot of these players, especially if they're working out in the morning or, you know, with it being switched to primetime last year, they're up all day. They're having to run a 40-yard dash at night. We're going to get to see some of these receivers and tight ends and corners run really fast in a familiar environment. So I'm all for that.
0: So I, I look at the, the pros and cons to kind of the, the current state that we're in. I think the, the riskiness of it is that there's certain guys who haven't played football in a long time, and you're yeah. relying on film from 2019, let's say, and, and just a, you know maybe a small sample size of film in 2020. Uh, that leads to potential error maybe in the first couple of rounds. Maybe you overvalue a guy – who probably isn't a first or a second round pick. On the other side of the coin, there's probably guys in mid to late rounds who could have boosted their stock to the first or second round. And I think you specifically mentioned some of these smaller school prospects that aren't going to get the fair shake that they would typically get. That could lead to some really interesting middle rounds. And I've said this the last few weeks, the Chargers have nine picks. So uh, the likelihood that you may hit on a guy in the fourth or fifth or sixth round is a little bit higher this year. And then you take it out of the draft. You know, uh, Austin Eckler, man, the Western state, you know, it, there could be a lot of guys that do not get drafted that probably should have been drafted this year, Chris.
1: Yeah, I think what is good about it, though, is the fact that we had the Senior Bowl and the Senior Bowl does a great job highlighting those small school players from the FCS level, D1, D2, uh, and even D3 to have a guard from Wisconsin Whitewater, Quinn Manners, there this year. And he had a fantastic week. Yeah, he was the best blocker at the Senior Bowl. It's good that we still had that. If there was no Senior Bowl, it would be really hard to uncover these guys. But Senior Bowl, there's, you know, 70 to 100 players. The combine invites 300, and we normally see more players pop up, uh, you know, at the combine that are small school guys or from a different level that put their name on the draft writer. But, again, with these pro days, we're going to be more reliant on those and pay more attention to them. So maybe there will be a, you know, Western Kentucky or just a – running back or a wide receiver from a smaller school that will have a really impressive pro day that could get him on the map but I do think for the small school guys they're hurt by this because the combine is such a good event to get them into the spotlight
0: especially if you didn't play last year right I mean that's yeah. that's the one thing too Is yep. like you could look at somebody's pro day and say wow he ran a fast 40 and his vertical was off the charts and was catching the ball but man, he hadn't played in two years. So, you know, how do you swear mm-hmm. that? I, I think that's that's going to be kind of a challenging thing. And I don't know if there's a, a one-size-fits-all answer to that.
1: Well, yeah, I think with the opt-out players, it's really interesting because so many of them uh, looked like players that still needed another year of seasoning at the collegiate level. And you watch your film, you see some weaknesses. Maybe they're not... Uh, The fastest yeah, they're not as good recognizing coverage if they're a quarterback or they're playing safety or corner. And to not get that final season to kind of fine-tune their game and and certainly not blaming any of these players for opting out when they did. Uh, But I think that is going to make so many of these big boards look completely different around the league. I think in general, certainly teams miss on uh, early picks every year. But in general, the NFL does a good job Uh, recognizing which players can play in their league. But this year, and really by April, most of the big boards look pretty similar around the league. This year, I think it's going to look completely different because of what you said. Some teams are going to like the fact that a player is fresh, didn't get injured, opted out, was able to work out for a season. And some teams are not going to like that for a lot of the reasons that I just pointed out. They would have liked to see some weaknesses get ironed out over the course of the fall and into the winter, that weren't able to do that. So we're going to see a wider disparity in how teams view even some of these early picks, first and second rounders, than we've ever seen before.
0: So, Chris, you mentioned Jalen Waddle at the top. I looked at your latest mock that dropped on uh, on Wednesday. You have Jalen Waddle to the LA Chargers at number thirteen overall. In a draft where a lot of people are leaning towards offensive line in the media, saying that that's the position of need, and it is. It's a position of need. But make the case for Jalen Waddell to the Chargers. When you look at Justin Herbert, what he did this year, the weapons he already has, and to add another explosive piece like Waddle to the mix.
1: Jalen Waddell would be the absolute home run pick for the Chargers at 13 overall watching his film, Jamar Chase's film and Devontae Smith, like the number like the top three wide receivers in this class, if you watch their film back to back. It's easy to see they're all great after the catch very dynamic athletes they're all fantastic in those contested catch situations, but. Jalen Waddell is the fastest of the bunch down the field, and he just moves different. I think he's a better separator in the NFL, running routes, and just really what he can do after the catch, he's a little bit more sudden than Jamar Chase and changing directions a little bit better than Devontae Smith. Uh, I think that if you look at the NFL today and you look at um, certainly having the quarterback in Justin Herbert is the most important, but teams are not just getting two wide receivers, They want three quality wide receivers, maybe even a good pass-catching tight end and a good running back who can catch passes out of the backfield. That's the new NFL. Look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. They loaded up on weapons. Look what the Buffalo Bills did for Josh Allen to bring in John Brown and Cole Beasley and then trade for Stephon Diggs. So I think if you're the Chargers offensive line and really the offensive tackle class is a good one, so that will help the Chargers. Jalen Waddell is just not... a. Type of a prospect that you can replicate in round two or round three, that he is a complete skill set. If his ankle is 100%, and you would expect by the season it will be, he's there at 13. You worry about offensive line in round two, maybe even earlier in free agency, uh, and you pick Jalen Waddell, plug him in with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, some of those other downfield threats to really accentuate the arm strength and all the talent that Justin Herbert has.
0: Yeah, so let's go deeper into what that would look like. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, big body who can – his 50-50 ball is an 80-20 ball around here. Yeah, <laughs> and, definitely. And Jalen Waddell. Then Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton, undrafted guys who are speedsters that Justin Herbert found early chemistry with. That would be five wide receivers. You go one to five. That's one, what you want. One of the best in the, in the league. Obviously, Hunter Henry situation still up in the air. Austin Eckler out of the backfield catching balls. Um, the offense, in, in a league where you have to keep up with teams like the Chiefs, especially in that division, that's very intriguing. So let's just say for the sake of this conversation, you do get a skill position player. And, it, and the fact that, Chris, he's your number one receiver, right? Over Chase, yep. over, over Devontae Smith.
1: Yeah, just because he moves different, like I said, I I think they're both they're all three going to be really good wide receivers. But if you watch the all twenty two film, you see Jalen Waddle running routes, the quickness that he changes direction, and then by like the second step, he's at full speed already once he changes direction, and then that I think legitimate low four three speed. And the fact that even at five foot ten, he plays like he's 6'3", because of his leaping ability and how well he tracks it. I think if you're just scouting on traits, not production, not awards or accolades, Jalen Waddell is the most talented wide receiver in this draft class. And really, like you mentioned, the Chiefs, he reminds me a lot of Tyree Kill. You can use him down the field. You mm-hmm. can give him jet sweeps. You can hand him the football. You can use him in the backfield um, that it doesn't matter what type of defense or cornerback you're facing. He's a movable chess piece that truly can score anywhere on the field.
0: So I love this conversation. It's a different hypothetical combo each week leading up to the draft. So let's look at the second round because at some point you're going to have to address the offensive line. The gap between Slater, Sewell, Darasol, Vera Tucker at the top of the first round, maybe there's first 15, 20 picks and a player you would get at
1: the top of the second or, or middle of the second.
0: What's the gap there, Chris?
1: It's not that big. I think uh, those three or four that you mentioned are legitimate first rounders and are going to be really good in the NFL. Um, but there is Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Uh, who played right guard, and then the last two years just completely locked down the left side of that Alabama offensive line. There's Tevin Jenkins, uh, who's the right tackle from Oklahoma State. Very powerful, but I love how fundamentally sound he is. He's very balanced. He's a very good pass protector. He's not just someone that's going to be good for your run game. Uh, There's other players, especially at the offensive tackle position, um, that I think some teams might have Alex Leatherwood or Tevin Jenkins, um, even Jackson Carman, the really gigantic offensive tackle from Clemson who did a great job protecting Trevor Lawrence. They might have some of those prospects in the first round on their big boards. If you can get them in the second round, I think they are plug-and-play type of guys. After quarterback and probably after receiver, offensive tackle is the best group in this class, not just top heaviness, with some of those names that you mentioned, but the depth into the second day, second and third round that you can get a starter who can be good right away.
0: Free agency, too, will will dictate a lot of what the Chargers sure. do. And and right now, with the cap the way it is, uh, that list of free agents is definitely not complete. There could be some names that, that oh, yeah. get added to that list over the next few weeks. Uh, Chris, I want to get you out of here on this because we haven't spoken since uh, Brandon Staley was hired and just want to get your overall thoughts on on the direction of the franchise now with Justin Herbert offensive rookie of the year. Uh, You saw what Kenneth Murray was able to do in in year one and now you bring in Brandon Staley, uh, who really worked wonders with that Rams defense I know he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey but he had that whole unit humming. Uh, Your thoughts on the Chargers getting Derwin James back and, and what they could potentially do in the AFC West and AFC in general next year?
1: Yeah, they're a legit team that will be on the upswing, that they're an upstart club. They lost a lot of close games. I know that's kind of been a stigma around this team for a while, but they already had one of the more efficient offenses in the league in Justin Herbert's rookie season they're going to add weapons whether it be in free agency or it's at number 13 overall or later in the draft Jalen Waddle maybe even Kyle Pitts he's there to fill that Hunter Henry spot and the Brandon Staley hire I really like it because I think at times uh, it's easy to say hey, you have a young quarterback get an offensive line it's all about the quarterback you know Justin Herbert is going to produce, fix the defense and bring in someone in Brandon Staley. He's going to run a lot of zone. He's going to make sure that they are not giving up explosive plays. And I think if you're playing an opponent that is going to go down the field five time, five or six times and have a 10, 11, 12 play drive and score a touchdown, hats off to that. But in general, teams want to hit those explosive plays. And you look over the course of the season – the best offenses, and the teams that are scoring the most points, close to 30 points a game, if not higher. So plays in the Rams in terms of keeping things in front of them, running too high safeties, letting their linebackers make a lot of plays at the second level. That's kind of the book on the Brandon Staley defense. I think he's going to help the defensive line as well. And we know that edge rusher is a kind of a sneaky need as well, opposite Joey Bosa, yep. given the Melvin Ingram situation. So I, I really think that, What Brandon Staley does on defense, the Rams, even with some of the star players, uh, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Darnold, he did a great job, uh, you know, scheming up some of the other secondary players that weren't necessarily household names and getting the most out of them. So to bring in someone to kind of help the defense with a, a new age scheme in Brandon Staley to limit explosive plays, um, I think is a really smart decision right the ship on that side and let Justin Herbert and the skill position players lead you to, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins in 2021.
0: Chris Trapasso, CBS sports, always appreciate the conversation, man. Tell me what you have going on over the next couple of months and where people can find you.
1: Just at cbsports.com slash NFL slash draft. I also have My own podcast, the prospect podcast, we're going to dive into everything about all these draft prospects. We're talking about quarterbacks now, but we'll get into some of the other marquee names, big boards, scouting reports, everything like that. Um, And then just at CBS Sports, anything I'm doing is trying to fill the gap over the next few days. That is typically uh, for the NFL combine a lot of rankings, big boards, and certainly mock drafts over the next few months.
0: Absolutely. Well, you helped us fill the gap a little bit this week here over <laughs> on Chargers.com. I really appreciate the time. Thanks, Chris. All right. Very pleased to be joined by longtime Charger. When you add up his career as a player, as a coach, as a broadcaster, Hank Bauer joins me here on Chargers Weekly. And Hank, like I was telling you off air, I-, I wish this was under better circumstances. 2021 has been particularly rough in the, in the Chargers family. And one of the things about you is you have a connection to all these great men. I want to start with Doug Moosey Wilkerson, a former teammate of yours, 14 years with the Chargers and all pro. And by all indications, Hank, an even better person than he was a player.
2: Yeah. Moosey, uh, he, he was a scary guy on the field. Okay. Uh, but off the field, I mean, you know, kind of quiet. Uh, the funny thing is, his voice didn't match his body. He had—he was one of these elite, athletic. He was the first offensive lineman drafted by the Oilers and played one year with them before the Chargers traded for him. And and but he was very athletic. I mean, you know, tiny waist. You know, back then nobody weighed three, three 300, 320, or at least. Yeah not on weigh-in days. (laughs) Uh, But, but, but he was graceful, athletic, and a supreme athlete. Um, And then he had this high voice kind of talked out of the corner of his mouth. and It didn't match. So, so I don't know if that's why he was quiet because his voice never matched his body or the way he looked. He, he looked so menacing, you know, uh, and, 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 and played that way. But, uh, but, but then he'd say something to you and you just couldn't help but to laugh, you know. We're, we're, we're playing the Steelers in that great 79 win when the Steelers went on to, you know, win the Super Bowl that year. And, and we, 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 we handled them pretty well. And uh, I'll never forget getting in the huddle on the goal line. It was like fourth and one and a half. And Doug had been battling, uh, you know, those guys up front. Me and Joe Green and all those guys up front. All the whole game long, and I get in and I'm fresh because I'm just coming in for one or two plays. Yeah, right. right? And, and 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 you know the great thing about a huddle is, you know, everybody's personality is different. And 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 for some reason I looked I looked up and I and Doug was looking at me, and he goes, "Don't you look at me? I'll kill you." You know, <laughs> you're starting to talk whoa whoa okay you know because he was fully engaged and i had yet to get engaged you know what i mean and and then and and i started laughing you know because his voice just look and then of course it was expletive expletive and then big russ washington next to him his his linemate looks at me and big grew look he goes hey i wouldn't look at him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, probably, not the, probably not the best move heck yeah and it was just you know moments it's just when i think of guys that we've lost i just think of moments you know and yeah and and all the moments in the locker room and at training camp and off the field and all the charity work you, you know and then the later years and and the moment when i saw doug at the end you know and uh uh it was uh pretty tough it was a pretty sobering it was it was a moment that stands out in my life Uh, that last time I saw Doug and his family. So.
0: You said he was just a different person on the field. And you said in your, in your quote, um, we have on the website, remembering Doug that him on the field was a completely different Mm -hmm. person than the guy that you saw in the hallways. Uh, Explain what you mean by that.
2: Uh, You know, most guys are. Yeah. Right, I mean, you you've been around a, a lot of guys now, right? Got to know guys. Most guys are you gotta you gotta you gotta turn it on. There are some guys that that, that you know still have the 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 personality. Like like Ed White was an artist, right? Ed White, uh, artist, but but he was really quiet on the field. You know what I mean? He was Ed White was a very business intense. Uh, you know, uh, he was uh, the quiet assassin, as it were. Billy Shields, the engineer. That's what I love about our offensive line. It was so diverse. It was so different. Donnie Masek. Billy was the analytic engineer, just again quiet on the field, very businesslike, and 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 Donnie Masek, a lot like Big Ed, and then there was Russ Washington, who I talked about was just some huge athletic and, hey, you know, let's go. Yeah. Hey, all right, this is a party. Hey, let's have fun, you know, and uh, just, hey, you know, and then and then, then there was Moosey, and it was like, don't you look at me. <laughs> you know, <it's> <laughs> a different level of intensity, you know, that, whoa, okay. That's a great thing about the locker room. You get all the different personalities, and that's a trick to coaching. Uh, you got to bring them all together and all, all rolling, rolling together. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: Those air choreo teams. It, the first thing you think about is that vertical passing game, but you mentioned when you guys needed to run the football, you could run the football against the best of them. And I think that's what gets lost a little bit when you talk about that era.
2: I think I, th- you know, air choreo, because we changed the passing game, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, we, we, it, people are doing the things now because of the things we brought to the game, you know, and, and the college game has changed because of the things Eric Coryell brought to the game of the NFL. Um, but, but the label of Eric Coryell itself uh, just, um, it, it leads you to believe that all we did was throw 60 exactly. times a game. And that wasn't the case. I mean, we had, I think the, the best running back, that I've ever seen God gift the talent that I've ever seen in my life. And Chuck Muncie, he was six, four and a half, two fifty 250 plus ran a sub four or five, could cut on a dime. And, and it was a terrific receiver, amazing hands and, and inside, outside run. We had great runners, James Brooks, you know, we had great runners and we ran. And when people, you know, people want to, wanted to Hey, if you want to drop eight, you want to play soft coverage. Okay, fine. Here we go. 80 log, you know, uh, 40 ballet. Here we come.
0: Howie Long, Mean Joe Green. These are guys (laughs) in that era that that Moosey had to go up against uh, on a weekly basis. And I I think that's something, too, that gets lost that era of uh, defensive tackles and, and pass rushers that someone like Moosey had to go up against during that era.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, uh, you know, when when you when teams were playing four down, right? When you're playing a four de- defensive line front, you know those were wide ends. So the tackles pretty much were assigned the ends, and then and then the center might be able to help if there's no blitz to one of the two tackles, uh, defensive tackles. So one of your guard was going to be on an island, right? And you, you never know which one, so it was either going to be Big Ed or, or, or uh, Moosey. And, uh, you know, I, I liked our chances with the, the matchup of either of those guys. But so they're inside, and I get that there's less room to navigate for a defender. But, I mean, it's still – I mean, get into a phone booth, and it's a 15-round heavyweight, heavyweight fight, <laughs> you know. And, and, you know, there's still enough room to throw punches.
0: Hank, I got to watch that uh, um, Epic in Miami uh, roundtable with you guys. Oh, my God. How, how fun was that for you guys to reminisce and, and talk about probably the greatest NFL game ever played?
2: You know, Marty's gone, right? V Jack, uh, Wayne Nunley, all these guys just recently. And, you know, I look at our team, we've lost Fred Dean, you know, Big Hands Johnson the aforementioned Chuck Muncie. Um, in the end, you know, you, you realize how blessed you are to have been a small part of that amazing bit of history. Uh, but in the end, it's not so much the game or the plays it's the relationships it's it's um, and again, I don't want to be misunderstood by any, by any stretch by the military guys who put their lives on the line for us, right? The guys and gals. But now I can feel a little bit, just a little bit of what they go through. You know, when they sacrifice and they all pull together and they're fighting for a common cause, and then in the end you leave it out there on the battlefield and then, you know, you've you've gone through something special with somebody else that you're not going to do in a normal nine-to-five job. You're never going to experience that in your lifetime. And, and, and so when I think back of those games and those and, – and, and being able to share with those guys again, it just it just amplifies that it's the relationships. You know, it's the experiences in life that matter. Uh, and, and gosh, then we get these harsh reminders when we start losing our friends. And, and then we get to revisit them. And then we laugh. And then we cry. And then we laughed a little more. I hope so. Yeah, it's been a tough month.
0: I mentioned at the beginning just the the different connections you have with the Chargers, and you had a, a front row seat to those Marty Schottenheimer led Charger teams with with Wayne Nunley on uh, on the coaching staff and, and Vincent Jackson. Uh, let's just start with Marty, probably one of the best leaders in the history of the National Football League. What was it like to be front and center, watching that team prepare on a weekly basis, and the, the success that they had, Hank.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, first thing is, the hardest thing as a coach is what I talked about earlier. You got all these different personalities, and you got to get them, you know, to, to play for the common cause, which is to win. Uh, and 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 Marty was a lot like Don Coriel, in that it wasn't hard for him to do that because he didn't have to work at it. All Everybody that's ever been in that locker room or around that, his teams, or a lot like our teams, they so genuinely loved and respected the game and cared about it and cared about his players and their success that, that players just bought in. They just, they, they, you couldn't help not to because he was so personally invested. And he was so authentic, you know, his love for the game, his respect for the game, his respect for the players and his coaches, you know, uh, that it's infectious and, and and it wasn't hard for guys to buy in. Hey, 14 and two that one
0: year, when you lose both of those games by a field goal, just think of just how difficult it is to win in the NFL, to win one game in the NFL, to win right. 14. To lose two by a combined six points, I think that gets lost into just how special that team is. And listen, you can have an amazing team and not win the Super Bowl. There's a lot of teams like that. You know, you can point to that uh, Patriots team that could have gone 19 and 0. But wait a minute, you can point to our teams. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You you can point to your your era. You can point to that 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 14 and 2 team. Is like, man. That was
2: one of the special teams in the history of this league. Yeah, you know, the first thing when you said that, the first thing I thought of is, well, how can you fire him? <laughs> I mean, how do you fire him after the season? You know, that's the first thing I think of because it was special. And I and I think that, you know, uh, the, the team would uh, now, looking back, uh, would hopefully have learned from it and realized they made a, they made a mistake. They probably chose the wrong. Person at the time, and that was probably not the way to go, you know. And and I and I've I've heard Dean talk about, yeah, that was probably a mistake, you know. Um, well, do you think fourteen wins is hard to get? Uh, and I don't know how and why you may, would ever make a change after that, uh, but they did, you know. The team did, and the, and you just kind of go on as a player and as a coach and 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 as a fan base and an organization as a family. So
0: Wayne Nunley a beloved coach on that staff. Uh, What do you remember about Wayne and just the impact that he had on his players, especially in that position
2: group? Defensive linemen are different, right? I mean, defensive line, (laughs) defensive linemen, they they, they can be a little wild, right? I mean, and they could be a little bit prima Donna. They get paid a lot of money to sack quarterbacks, you know, you got, and, and, you, again, you your position group you get, the key as a coach is you got to pull them all together, get them all working together and and, and make them realize it's the team first, right And, and so uh, you know Wayne was always able to do that and, and bring out the best in his guys. Uh, Wayne was kind of quiet too. you know what I mean? Uh, but, but when you sat down and talked to him, engaging, great personality, really smart you know uh and he's the kind of guy that i would love to have as a next-door neighbor that i would never piss off <laughs> you want him on your side absolutely
0: <laughs> hey i, I want to ask you about this uh this 2021 chargers team but before we do that uh Vincent jackson uh oh, goodness one, one, of, one of the greatest receivers In the history of the franchise, and we're talking about some some pretty good receivers. Um, Vincent's impact in the community, though, and you know, I just got to talk to somebody in Tampa. He was Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee four years straight in Tampa. We know what he did in the community too in in San Diego. Uh, What's your your fondest memory of of watching Vincent play, but also seeing the man he was?
2: Well that that's the most important thing, right? Absolutely. I mean, what, what, the impact you make on the field is important and, and it's always going to be short lived, you know, for any of us, Vincent got 12 years in, you know, when the average career is less than three years uh, you know, that, think about that. And when I think about Vincent as a receiver, he was the first in this wave. Now that we've seen of big wide receivers, that could fly, right? Yeah. Do you remember? I, I don't know that I remember a lot uh, th- that this many guys. Sorry about that, that. I don't remember this many guys that size, that fast from our era or before, right? But a 6'5", with two, 225, 230, it could fly and athletic and made, you know, acrobatic catches. Uh, but the important thing is, and that's important, the important thing is what was its impact? And what will our impact be outside of football? How will you use the confluence of what you achieved to make the world a better place?
0: Yeah. And,
2: and when you think back, how are we going to say Vincent Jackson, you know, a great football player. But, you know, when I think of Vincent Jackson, I think, you know what? The world's a better place because he was here. Military parents started his, his uh, Action Jackson Foundation to help military families. Uh, gave every bit of himself to it. Um, and, and when I look back and we don't know how or why it ended the way it did for Vincent, but we should all know this and recognize this, that our world, all of our worlds were a better place, a way better place because he was here. And, he, and I'm telling you, he had a bigger impact than most players that ever come through the league. And so when I think of Vincent, I don't really think of the, you know, I, I don't think of the on the field stuff. I I think more of the off the field stuff and the impact because really as you get older, that's the most important thing. What's your legacy?
0: Yeah. And that's a testament to, to the person he was when, when you, when you know that he was a great player and that's kind of in the back of your mind, front facing the person that he was. Hank, I, I I know that this has probably been a a very difficult couple of months for you. I, I really appreciate you spending some time, share some memories of these guys, because I think it's important for Chargers fans of all ages, maybe they weren't quite familiar with your era, or maybe they're, they're newer fans who weren't quite familiar with the Marty Schottenheimer era to get a little bit of an education into what those teams are like. And those players and coaches within those teams, I, I want to push it forward because I always love seeing you at SoFi stadium 2021, Brandon Staley is, is the new head coach. Your thoughts on this team, uh, going in to a season where Justin Herbert coming off offensive rookie of the year, some pieces in place. You got to get Darwin James healthy. Got to get him and Joey Bosa on the field at the same time, but but a lot of potential as we go into free agency in the draft.
2: Well, potential means what? It, it doesn't mean yeah. anything till you win. We <laughs> haven't done it yet. Okay. But, but we think you can. Yep. And I think that's what this team is. We think they can, but they haven't done it yet. Most important piece. To build a football franchise uh, is your quarterback, uh, especially in today's NFL. And boy, I tell you, this kid, Justin Herbert, is the goods. He's the real deal. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to broadcast with Larry Connor and Sports USA the national broadcast on radio yep. of yep. its first start. And we didn't learn about it until kickoff. You know, we're, uh, we're looking down and he's warming up and he's getting ready to go on the field. And we're trying to collect the information as we were getting it. You know, we're on a national radio broadcast and 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 and, and we had done the game the week before in Cincinnati. Right. And 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 uh, and then I watched the kid for, for, for to be thrown into that situation, not knowing he was going to start. This is the most important thing that I learned about the kid was. He prepared, obviously, like he was going to be the starter because yeah. he went out there and he didn't miss a tick. Now, he made a couple bad decisions, you know, the, the, you know, late in the game running to his left. He could have ran for a first down, which probably would have won the game. Yeah, right. That, and that then it was. He the play that back won the game. Body. But he didn't make that mistake again the rest of the year. See, so he he you could tell he's a smart kid. But more importantly, he prepared like he was going to be the guy. Not knowing he was going to be the guy. And then once he was the guy, he was the guy. And and I cannot wait to see how far he takes it.
0: I, I love what you said because I, I think that's been the constant throughout you see his 15 starts. He never made the same mistake twice. And you know, right. you, you can get on a rookie for for mistakes, but it's gonna happen. Like it's his first start. To
2: go down I, I, I always say, I always say rule number one for a quarterback. Don't, you're not. You don't necessarily have to go out and win games. Just don't lose games. Watch football closely. Watch NFL football closely. How often is it that you watch a team and the quarterback makes stupid decisions, tries to do too much, makes them big mistakes, and that because these games are all so even and so equal, and the little things that matter—turnovers, big plays made or not made in the kicking game—and uh, and so you know, the the rule number one is don't, don't give the game away. And, and he gets that part. Yeah. Um, And, and so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that that's now you got to surround himself with the right pieces. I think, I think think more key, the biggest key, he really needs help up front. You know, they got to get him help up front. They got to, they got to make some additions to the offensive line. You know, the guys that they had brought in just didn't work out. They got hurt. They were older took a risk. Um, you know, so I think, I think you got to get the offensive line to match the skill positions are fine. I'm a huge Austin Eckler fan. He's, I told him yeah. when I first saw him as a rookie, I walked up to him. He thought I was crazy. He goes, who are you? And I go, I introduced myself and said, I just want to let you know, I've, st- I've watched you on tape. This is his rookie year or second year. I said, you might be my favorite player to watch. I just love the way you play. You know, you finish runs, you're exciting, you're fun, and I could tell you love the game.
0: It hurt the Chargers badly when when he wasn't on the field during that stretch when he was hurt. Um, To to have that extra weapon for Justin, whether it's in the run game or the pass game, having that security blanket outside of the backfield, uh, having him back, but you're right. The combination of having nine picks in the draft, having some cap space, uh, shore up the offensive line, maybe get some players that that Staley likes defensively, that they fit what he wants to do to round out what they already have. Guys like Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil coming back. I think that's going to help on special teams. Like you said, potential doesn't really mean much. Uh, but but ex-
2: yeah, you haven't done it yet.
0: <laughs> you haven't done it yet. But you know what, Haggy, at least it's exciting to see over these next couple of months, how this team is going to take shape. Uh, The foundation is laid, and and I think the hardest part, you can breathe a sigh of relief. you got your quarterback. Uh, A lot of teams don't have the quarterback, and they're they're scrambling in April either, A, trying to roll the dice on a guy in the first round or, or seeing what's there in the free agency market. The Chargers, to go from Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert so seamlessly doesn't usually happen that way.
2: No, you know, look around. All you got to do is look around the league, and 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 watch the carousel of quarterbacks with some franchises, you know. And you'd be thankful that if you're a Charger fan that you've got this guy for for hopefully the long time, for the long term, and you hope he stays healthy, you know. But you got to help him stay healthy,
0: right? Yep. Hey Bauer, uh, I appreciate your time. I really do. I, I thought this was was great to to have some memories of some of these guys that you knew so well. And also to look forward to the 2021 season. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, Chris, I appreciate it. And um, look at, I'm going to, it's been a rough, it's been a rough month, you know, Uh, but I'm going to choose to celebrate today. I'm going to think of Marty and I'm going to think about the gleam, you know, and I'm going to think about Wayne and I'm going to think about Wayne on he and I talking on the charter flights home after a tough loss and, you know, and stuff like I'm thinking about Vjack jack doing, a, you know, out there with all the military kids, you know, and, and uh, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to focus on uh, more of the positive and, and I'm going to celebrate their lives.